0: Today's reading is from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but, the, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, for those of you who are just joining us, uh, we are currently in a series on the habits of grace. So these are practices, these are habits that God gives to us to strengthen us in his grace, to strengthen us in the identity we have in Christ. We don't do them to earn favor, rather we do them to grow in the favor we have in Jesus. And like most of the practices that we've talked about the past several weeks, the habit we're going to consider this morning is one we all probably would like to do more of and admit that we need to do more of, but find it difficult, Writing in the New York Times, Tim Kreider helps us identify our problem. He writes, if you live in America in the 21st century, you've probably had to listen to a lot of people tell you how busy they are. It's become the default response when you ask anyone how they're doing. Busy, so busy, crazy busy. Someone asked me this morning how I was doing, and I had to fight to say, not not say busy. So I said, life's pretty full. It is pretty obvious, it is, it, is, it is pretty obviously a boast disguised as a complaint, and the stock response is a kind of congratulation, that's a good problem to have, or better than the opposite. I wonder, would you use the word busy to describe your life? I'm guessing you would. Because you have things like work, and you have school, and you have household chores, and you have errands, and you have sports practices and games, and you have band practices and games, you have birthday parties, you have play dates, you have doctor's appointments, grocery shopping, volunteering activities, church activities, and that's just Tuesday. We are busy, busy people. Our lives are full. And look, Busyness, in some ways, isn't inherently wrong. We should live life to the fullest. We should be actively engaged in our lives. But how often do we sort of wear this as a badge of honor? We'll think of things like, well, I'll get sleep when I'm dead. Taking a rest, that's for people that don't have things to do. I remember when when I was in seminary, when we were living on the East Coast, and I was in seminary working full-time at a church, I remember it was towards the end of a term, and I stayed up for 36 straight hours and I thought that was cool. I was like bragging to all my friends, hey, I've been up for 36 straight hours because I've had so many things to do. And one of my buddies who, who lives here in Omaha, he was like, dude, what's wrong with you? And I was like, good question. Why do we wear these things at, as, as such a badge of honor? Though we should embrace life, though we should live life to the fullest in many ways, though, though we should live actively, a question that we must ask ourselves repeatedly In the midst of all of that busyness, are you resting? And by resting, I don't just mean taking a day off or getting some vacation time. Eric alluded to this this morning that rest is so much bigger than just time off. As important as necessary as those things are, rest is a spiritual condition. Rest is not just a condition of our bodies, it's a condition of our souls. You see, rest, the real kind of rest, the kind of rest that Jesus is going to call us into, it frees us from the prideful and worried and frenzied and stressed out and worn out and weariness that busyness can cause us. And and so when I'm asking you if if you're resting, if, if I'm resting, what I'm asking is, are we allowing our body and our souls to be refreshed and rejuvenated and renewed? Or maybe another way to ask it is, is Christ and his spirit and his kingdom defining your schedule and my schedule? And is it shaping our hearts or is busyness shaping our hearts? And one way to know the answer to this question is, hey, do you live with peace? Do you live with hope? Do you live with joy? Do you live with love? A sense of freedom in your heart and in your soul? Or is busyness causing angst? and anger, and frustration, and cynicism, and exhaustion? Do you live with the sense that you are chained and you are a slave to your schedule and all the things you must get done? See friends, this morning, I want us to be honest about our busyness. You and me, we need to be honest about the state of our souls. Like we cannot let the good of living full and active and involved lives allow us to make excuses and diminish the unhealth that busyness can bring to us. And so this morning, I want to look into God's word and and let Jesus challenge our busyness. Let him reevaluate our priorities because we need to hear Jesus' call to rest, to find our identity in him, and let that transform how we live. And so from Luke 10, 38 to 42, I want to contrast two things. I want to contrast the busy heart that we often live with with a restful heart and then consider how do we begin to cultivate this habit of rest so let's first consider busy hearts the busyness present in our hearts is wonderfully exposed in this short little account in luke 10 first in verses 38 through 40 we read this now as they went on their way jesus entered a village and a woman named martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister left me alone to serve? Tell her to help me. And so you have sisters, Mary and Martha, who are extending hospitality to Jesus and his disciples. They've invited them into their home, and they are allowing, giving them a space to gather and to rest from travel and to, to really hang out and for Jesus to teach. And in some ways, this may sound like a kind of an average gathering. Maybe this is what gospel community sounds like for you in a given week. And so Martha, she's busy. She's engaged in really good work. So so she's hosting and she's serving and she's getting food and drink and making sure people have places to sit and make sure that just sort of all the activity and everybody is comfortable so they can sit and listen to Jesus teach. She's meeting needs so people can be comfortable And enjoy themselves and be able to learn from Jesus. But there's something wrong here. Martha is frustrated amidst all of that good work that she's doing. She's frustrated. She sees her sister Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus rather than helping her, and she thinks, Man, she should be helping me. I wonder, have any of you relate to Martha? You've been in a situation where you're you're trying to serve and help so that people can be comfortable and enjoy themselves and maybe there's some really important activity taking place, and you're looking around, you're like, I'm the only one serving. What is going on here? This is a problem. I'm busting my rear end so you can be comfortable. You're welcome. (laughs) And so on one level, I think we can identify with Martha, and I think in some ways we can go, hey, this feels legit. This angst feels very legit. Doesn't seem fair and right. But notice the word distracted in verse 40. Martha was distracted by serving. The Greek word there means I'm so focused on something, so overly focused, so myopic on something. I'm so preoccupied on the one thing that, to the point of being anxious, to the point where I lose perspective. I can't, I'm not aware of what is going on. That one thing becomes the only thing. And so the task of serving the work, the responsibility had become such her focus that she could think of nothing else. It was at the top of her priorities. It determined what was going to be her priority. And because she wasn't able to execute that priority, she became anxious and troubled. The work commanded her mental and her physical and her emotional energy to such a degree that there was angst, anxiety, cynicism, frustration, and even anger. And so, look, the problem isn't so much that Martha had a lot to do. It was her preoccupation. It was that she was preoccupied with the things she had to do. The tasks and the tasks alone mattered. In other words, she was allowing busyness to define her priorities and in turn shape her soul. The problem of busyness then, listen, the problem of busyness then is not so much the size of our task list, but the disordered heart that leads to disordered priorities. And so Jesus' response to Martha, Martha's complaint in verse 41, confirms this reality. He exposes what's really going on. This is what the Lord says. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Oh, you can just hear the gentle love in, in Jesus' voice. Martha, Martha, you're anxious, you're troubled. The work, the activity, all that's going on, it's consuming you and you're angsty and you're angry and you're irritated. Martha, Martha, why? Why so anxious? Why so angsty? Why so irritated? Why so cynical? Why is all this serving at the top of your list? Why is all this activity your main priority? There's really only one thing that's needed, only one thing that's necessary. And why is that not defining your priorities? And Jesus says the same thing to us this morning. He would speak to you with love and with grace and say, look, you're anxious. You're troubled with many things. There's an anxiety, there's an anger, there's an irritation going on in your soul. Why? Why so angsty? Why so irritated? Why so cynical? Why so burnt out? Why are all the things that you have to do in a week the only thing that you can see? Why are they driving your priority? Because look, only one thing is needed. Only one thing is necessary. You think all of these things should define your priorities, but I'm telling you, only one thing. Why are these things the thing that are shaping your soul? It's a good question that we need to wrestle with. Why are we so prone to let busyness define us and let it disorder our souls? Or or maybe a better way to ask it is what disorder already exists in our hearts that in turn disorders our priorities that in turn leads us to busyness that in turn causes us to neglect rest as with so many other problems and not to be reductionistic because it is multifaceted but if we could reduce this down once again we're going to see this is a problem of identity this is a problem of the identity you and I live from Because when we are not finding our identity in Christ, when we live by performance rather than by promise and by grace, all sorts of unhealthy things in life happen. Again, I want to draw our friend Tim Kreider to diagnose the problem for us. This is what he writes. Notice, it isn't generally people pulling back-to-back shifts in the ICU or commuting by bus to three minimum wage jobs who tell you how busy they are. What those people are is not busy, but tired, exhausted, dead on their feet. It's almost always people whose lamented busyness is purely self-imposed. Work and obligations they've taken on voluntarily, classes and activities they've encouraged their kids to participate in. They're busy because of their own ambition or drive or anxiety, because they're addicted to busyness and dread what they might have to face in its absence. Busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, completely booked, in demand every hour of the day. And so look, we, yes, there is a tiredness, there is an exhaustion that comes from a good, hard day's work. But so often, the busyness... The angst, the anxiety, the irritation, the disorder in our hearts comes from something else. I think Creator is spot on here. Business and work and activities so often become the means by which we find identity. We seek identity, we seek meaning and purpose, we seek a sense of worth, we want the praise of others, we want status because we want to be somebody. We want to be seen as a good worker, or a good husband, or a good father, or a good mother, or a good wife. We want to be a good student, a good friend, someone who's faithful at church. And so if I'm going to feel that, I've got to be busy. I've got to get to work. I've got to do these activities. Get me what I want. And when they get me what I want, they become my ultimate priority. They become my focus. I can't see beyond them. Anything that would take me away from them is a threat. And look, sometimes this comes out as pride, but more often it comes out as fear. The voices in our minds and in our hearts say this, if I don't do this, then I won't be seen as this. If I don't do these things, then I won't be seen as a good, hard worker. I'll be seen as a poor parent. I'll be seen as a poor student. I'm a bad friend. I'm not living life to the fullest. I'm not accomplished. I'm not faithful in the church. People are going to think poorly of me, so I need to be busy. So, look, whether this is pride or whether this is fear, what we're living out of is this sense of my worth is my work and my activity. And busyness gives me an identity. So let me be busy. No time to stop. No time to rest. And so, look, I don't know precisely what was disordering Martha's heart. I don't know exactly the things that were going on to make her anxious and irritated. We don't know exactly. But something inside her was telling her this had to be done. This was the most important task. This you must do because if you don't do it, then look, you don't have value. And some of this was coming from inside, but some of this was coming from cultural expectation too. And that's an entirely different sermon that I would love to preach sometime. But look, here's what often happens. It comes from within, but it also comes from without. Society tells you, you need to be busy to have work. Parents, you need to have your kids in 15 activities every day if they want to get into college. You need to constantly be climbing the corporate ladder. Like look, We hear these messages inside, but we also have to understand that we're often influenced by the messages without. So whether it was inside or outside for Mary or for Martha, the disorder in her soul and the messages that she heard led to anger and angst and irritation. Because she could not feel, she did not feel like she could accomplish the task that she needed to do, and she could not take hold of the identity she wanted to experience. She felt like she was failing. And out of her heart came the anger. So there was pride, probably, but there was also fear. And look, you and I live the same way. We live, it's either pride or it's fear. I need to be valued. I'm afraid that I won't be. I need to be seen as somebody who is a good parent or a good husband, and I fear that I won't be. I want to be a good mother, and I'm afraid that I won't be. And so we go nonstop at life. And so I wonder, what's your fear? Well, can you pinpoint the exact voice that you hear? Can you pinpoint the exact message that comes inside or outside that you most fear? Look, I, I, so often, this is what this looks like for me. Like if you don't work 80 hours a week, this church is going to fall apart. If you don't give every ounce of your time, people are going to fall into sin and they're never going to recover. And then people are going to think you're a terrible pastor and everything in this church is a mess and it's unhealthy and all it takes is one person to make one offhanded remark and boom, spiraled into this, well, I'm going to work my tail off. And so nobody ever thinks that about me or this church. Have you ever been there? One little offhanded comment from somebody, and you are a spiraling mess of busyness. How often do we live this way? And then look, when we get all of our task lists done, we feel great. Look at me. Look what I accomplished. You're wrong about me. But then what happens when we fail? Oh, it's true of me. I am terrible at this. I am a bad pastor. I am a bad husband. I am a bad parent. I am terrible at work. My kids are going to fall apart and fail and be miserable in life. Fear after fear after fear when we fail. And look, here's... Uh, we, we need to sometimes take personality into account here because some of you in the room, you're type A and you're really good at getting things done. Man, you're constantly just going and you're killing your task list and you're running full throttle. But guess what? Can I be honest with you for a second? Because I'll say something to you that maybe not everybody's going to say to you. You're kind of hard to be around. At times, you're a little bit much to bear. Love you. But let's be honest. For the rest of us, we feel guilt. We get crushed. We don't attack it with that type A personality. It's more, man, th- th- this is just too much. And, and, and we also, we, we kind of start to pull back, right? We, we, start, we start to retreat. We become less productive in some ways that we should be productive. And so this cycle works on us over and over and over and over because we're after an identity. We're after something through our work. But, but, but here's, here's another aspect of, of busyness. Busyness is also a wonderful and effective cover for pain. Like it's an effective numbing agent. Like I don't want to deal with sadness or hurt or loneliness or spiritual pain or relational pain or guilt or shame or emptiness. And so I will work so I don't have to deal with the junk inside. And I will go on and on and on and on, never stopping to take stock of what's going on in my heart. I don't have to feel like a mess when I'm busy. I don't have to feel alone when I'm busy. I don't have to feel shame and guilt when I'm busy. And when we do stop, if we ever do, rather than resting, we escape. And escaping and resting are far different things. We'll talk about that in a minute. And so, friends... Can we be honest, be honest about what the busyness in our heart reveals? Can we start there and just be honest that there are ways that we are busy because the disorder in our hearts is such that we're chasing after identity, or we're trying to push back fear and insecurity, and we're trying to numb pain. Hear again what Jesus is saying. Hear again the questions that Jesus asks. You're anxious and you're troubled. Why? Many things upset you. You're irritated. Many things working you up. There's angst. There's anxiety. Why? Why so busy? There's only one thing necessary, only one thing needed. And this is where Jesus calls us in, out of busy hearts to restful hearts. Because in the midst of that disorder... In midst of all that angst and all that anger and all the frustration and all that cynicism and busyness and even exhaustion, Jesus points us to something greater. In verse forty-two, this is what He tells Martha: One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will never be, which will not be taken away from her. One thing is necessary or needed. Some translations use needed. There's one thing that you need. There's only one thing that is necessary. And Martha, and you and I so often think that that one thing is busyness and an identity through our work, activity, service, performance. We think this is going to give us our worth and our value and our joy, and we're distracted. Mary recognized something else. Mary recognized that that one thing comes from Christ alone. Mary is, our, is a good instructor for us. Let Mary disciple us here for a moment and say, you find this one thing at the feet of Jesus. That one thing that your soul is grabbing for, that one thing your soul is burdened to experience is found in Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus. This is where we find rest. This is where we find identity. This is where we find hope and joy. And so, church, here's what we need to recognize. This is why we need to recognize that rest is something far big, bigger than just taking days off. Because rest is spiritual, as we see here. Mary is finding rest, not because necessarily because she's not doing the chores. She's finding rest because she's in the presence of Jesus. I will. <laughs> Mary is not finding rest because she's not doing chores. Mary is finding rest because she's in the presence of Jesus. And this is what scripture has held out to us, that rest is something bigger. Rest is living in the light of the glory and goodness and authority and power and control of of God. So, So let me do just a very, very quick biblical theology of rest here. Here's what we see in Genesis 1. God's word tells us on the seventh day, God rested. Why? Because God was tired? No, he's infinite in power. God resting was pointing to completion. He had completed the work. Creation was done. It was perfect. It lacked nothing. And so God rests as a picture of a king sitting on his throne saying, I have all control and power and authority. I rule over all of this. It is finished. It is done. And then for you and I, man and woman made in the image of God, here's the beautiful truth of that for us. We were made to work as God works, but we were made to work from an identity, not for an identity. And when you work from an identity, you recognize God is king, God is sovereign, God is in control over all things, and so I can work, and I can work to the glory of God, but I can also stop working because I can say, hey, God, you got this. You are in control. You are good, And you are sovereign, so I'm going to step away from my work. I'm going to recognize I'm human, I have limitations, so I'm going to stop. And so rest is living from this wonderful identity that God has given us. It is living in the goodness, the goodness of God's sovereignty and power. And so here, as a side note, look, the sovereignty of God is not a theological stick to beat people with. It is a warm blanket for us to wrap in and rest in. Amen? Amen? But in our sin, in our rebellion, we decided that rather living from an identity, we were gonna make our own. We were gonna carve our own identity through our own work and our own definition of what is good and evil and defining what meaning and purpose and reality really are all for ourselves. So we work and we toil and we sinfully try to construct our own identity and an identity we'll never be secure in. We doubt God is good And so we will work and we will work and we will wear ourselves out. Look, the problem of rest can in many ways come down to whether or not you think God is good. Because if you believe he's good, you will let go and you will stop and you will rest in that goodness. So look, our rebellion, our sin has gotten us nothing but angst and anger and frustration and alienation and cynicism and exhaustion. It's enslaved us to our schedules and the expectation of others. This is not how God designed us. This is not the purpose God had for us in our work. And we willfully take on those chains in our pride and our rebellion against God. But God in his mercy, oh, thank God that he's merciful keeps calling us back to rest, to to find our identity in him rather than resting in our own power, to to call us back to his goodness and his power rather than ourselves. And, And so we see this in the book of Exodus after God redeems Israel out of sin and political slavery. He gives this word to Moses. You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. The people of God were to keep the Sabbath, which is the day of rest, as a way to express trust in the Lord's goodness and his power. It was to to say, God, you are good. You have redeemed us. You have saved us. And so we are going to trust in you. You sanctify, meaning you save. You set apart. You make us holy. Our identity is in you. And so, Lord, we will stop our work as, a, as an expression of worship to say you are king. You are good. You, you are worthy of our trust and our praise. We find our identity in you. And here's what's also a wonderful gift. You see, one of the results of the fall is that God cursed the earth, and now our work is frustrating and futile at times. And so do you know what rest is? It's a break from the curse. God says, hey, it's hard right now. And so take a break from that. And when you're taking a break from that, be reminded that one day it won't always be this way. And so rest is a gift. It's a gift that we don't take so often, but it is a gift. It's a way for God to say, just stop with the toil and rest and relax and find comfort in me and what God gave to the people of Israel in the Old Testament, he gives in further abundance for us in Christ. You see, the rest Israel practiced during Sabbath was just a foreshadow. It was just an image. It was a glimpse of something greater found in Jesus. Hebrews 4.3 says, we entered the true lasting rest of God by faith in Jesus. Because here's what's true, as Hebrews 10 later says, but when Christ had Offered for all times a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What the author of Hebrews is talking about is when Jesus ascended into heaven, he mirrored that great act of rest found in Genesis 1. Just as God sat down to show that the work of creation had been completed, Jesus sits to say the work of redemption has been completed. It's perfect, it's complete, nothing needs to be added. And so, for you and for me, when we put our faith in Jesus, we can experience true rest. Because the work of salvation has been completed, full and complete forgiveness for all our sin. Shame and guilt have been swallowed up by his mercy. The power of sin has been broken by the greater power of the resurrection. And we are loved. And we are welcomed into the family of God as a son, as a daughter, as an heir of eternal life with Jesus. Look at, look at that What verse 14, up on the screen, verse 14 in Hebrews says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You have been perfected for all time, not by your work, but by the finished work of Christ. If that is true, then we can rest We can find rest in Jesus. This is our hope. This is our joy. This is our peace. This is our identity. Christ and his goodness and his sovereign power. So what this means is no more working for an identity. No more finding worth in how much you and I get done. No more fear that we're worthless apart from how much we can produce. No more fear about ruining our lives or the lives of our kids because we're not busy enough. No more running ourselves ragged and being slaved to our schedules and the expectations of others. No more numbing pain. No, friends, at the feet of Jesus, this is where we find rest. This is where our disordered hearts are renewed and restored. This is where we find freedom. This is what Christ offers, and this is what Mary recognized was found in the presence of Jesus. And what Martha and you and I so often miss. And this is what the habit of rest is aimed at. So when we talk about the habit of rest, this is what we are aimed at. So what does this look like? How can we hope to cultivate a habit of rest? Well, let's start with the basic here. Work hard and physically rest. Work hard and physically rest. You should work hard. God wired us to work and so whether you work outside the home or inside the home whether you're working to make money or whether you're working to serve work hard give it your all you should go to bed tired each day but rest physically rest we're human we have limitations we must accept them this is what it means to live from identity is to say i am who god says i am I'm accepting God as God, and I am not. And look, you may try to push your limitations. You may push past them. But look, there's always a cost. Even even in the best intentions, even in the best times where we have to do this, there's always a cost to our physical health, to the quality of our work, sometimes to the health of our souls. And so we need physical rest. Look, we're embodied beings. Spirit and body together. We cannot experience spiritual rest without physical rest. So we must rest physically. Get enough sleep. Be refreshed physically through exercise. Doesn't mean you have to go to the gym six times a day, but take a walk. Get rest. Be refreshed. Be rejuvenated. Some of us, and I include myself in this, need to watch what we eat because when we eat too much of something, we can't sleep at night. And so we just need to be mindful. There's wonderful common grace tools here, and I don't want to get in the weeds too far, but just do what you need to have a healthy balance of physical rest, being able to sleep at night, mentally being able to recharge as well. When you come home from work, be home. Don't be like me, where too often I'm trying to sneak five, 10 minutes here and there when I come home to just finish up this little thing just quick. I never shut off, I'm never mentally resting. And so, those of you that work outside the home, draw those clear boundaries. Stay at home moms, you need this as well. And so, dads, find, serve your wives well by allowing them some space <laughs> to just mentally decompress and rest. Do what you need to do, work that out in your home, but rest physically, rest mentally this also means you should take an, day, an entire day off. Look, I'm not gonna get into battles about the Sabbath and what you can and can't do and is it, should it be just this day and all those details. Here's the principle you need to understand. Take a day off. Rest. If you need to develop better work habits so you can take days off, develop better work habits. If it's absolutely impossible for your job, then you need to have some tough conversations And bring somebody into that. Because look, physical rest is intimately connected to spiritual rest. If you cannot physically rest, you will not spiritually rest. Rest physically. But you also need to seek spiritual rest. It's more than just physical rest. Since our issue and our problem is spiritual, the rest God calls us to is deeper than physical. It's ultimately spiritual rest we're after. So what this means when we consider what the habit of rest looks like, we have to always be thinking about what it means to deal with the junk in our souls. And so what we need to recognize about rest is this, that the physical rest that you and I engage in, the physical rest that you and I should be doing, the reevaluating of our time and our schedule and taking days off, it is in order that we can have space to deal with what's going on in our souls the junk that you and I carry so often, the pain and the doubt and the fear and the anxiety and the angst, just changing your schedule is not the kind of rest that Christ calls you to. The only way we are going to be able to deal with that stuff is by being in the presence of Jesus. And yes, physically rest, but physically rest in order to spiritually rest in order to spend time at the feet of Jesus. And so when we rest, we're seeking deeper soul work. We're seeking deeper transformation. And this is why it's important that we rest and not escape. Because too often what we do is we come home and what do we do? We turn on Netflix or we get on the computer or we start playing video games or we do something that's mindless. That isn't rest, that's escape. And understand this look, sometimes it's okay. Sometimes amusement, fun, entertainment, those are good. Those can be a part of the whole. But if that's what you're doing to deal with the junk in your soul, if that's what you're calling rest, you're not resting, you're escaping. We need to be resting. We need to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. We need to be spending time in his word and his prayer. We need to be reflecting on the things that are going on in our hearts and allowing Christ to minister grace and healing and mercy to us. So we need to give ourselves space to deal with the junk. We need to give ourselves quiet to deal with the junk. And parents, are you modeling this for your kids and are you giving your kids space to be able to process what's going on in their hearts? Or are you jamming their schedule's so full of things it's one activity to the next, to the next, to the next that your kid never has time to just sit and process and learn what it means to find their identity in Jesus. Seek spiritual rest. And finally, let rest shape your priorities. As I've said, full schedules, lots going on, working hard. These are good. Certainly they can be the enemy of rest, but they need not be Jesus had a full schedule. He had major demands on his time. You think you have a lot of people demanding your time? Try whole towns. Jesus was a busy guy, but he never let busyness define his soul. Busyness wasn't what was shaping his soul. He was never sinfully angry or cynical or anxious or short-tempered. He was never hard to be around. He wasn't trying to earn an identity. He lived from his identity as the son of God. So what did Jesus do? He rested Sometimes in really weird places, like on a boat during a storm. (laughs) Jesus would just up and leave people to go pray and be with his Father. Jesus rested. He needed to be strengthened by his Father. He knew his Father was sovereignly at work, and he could go off and spend time in prayer, and the work would be there when he got back. He let his priorities be shaped by what was most needed. And so when we're shaped by Jesus when we're shaped by being in his presence, when we recognize this is the one thing that we need, we can begin to better organize our schedules and organize our days. And sometimes that will mean we are going to be very, very busy. But it also means that no matter how busy we get, no matter how full things get, we're always, always, always making a priority to be with Jesus. And when that is a big rock that never moves, it begins to affect all of the other priorities in our life. Look, if you look at the entirety of the chapter of Luke 10, here's how Luke 10 starts. Jesus sending out the 72. They go and do work. They come back. They're rejoicing. Hey, people are getting saved. Demons are being cast out. It's incredible. Work, work, work. The next part is the good Samaritan, the parable of the good Samaritan. Jesus is like, hey, you need to serve your neighbor. Serving. Preaching the gospel, serving, activity. Then we come to the end, and here's Martha serving, doing something good. And how does the chapter end? Boom, only one thing's needed. Like, yeah, I'm sending you, to share out, send, sending you out to share the gospel. I'm saying go serve your neighbor and serve people that you might otherwise not be in relationship with. But only one thing is needed, being with me, spending time in the presence of Christ, being shaped by Jesus, finding your identity in Jesus. And from that, go and serve, go and work. Go go and live life to the fullest. And so friends, do you not see the kindness and the mercy and the love of Jesus in this? Like so often we want to run around in a flurry of activity. We, we want to feel impressive and we want to try to impress God and impress others and here's Jesus the whole time saying, hey, hey, just come be with me. Just, just sit and be with me. Set, set the burden down and Rest. Let go of the angst. Let go of the anger. Let go of the cynicism and the frustration. Let go of the fear. Stop trying to cover over the pain. Just come and be with me. Come and let me comfort you. Let me minister hope and healing and love and forgiveness and restoration and peace. Everything you need is found in me. Come and rest. So church, if this is the grace held out to us in rest, let us develop this habit of rest. Amen.